1: Welcome to Weather Geeks. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepherd from the University of Georgia, and we have a very special show for you. We have Rear Admiral Tim Gallaudet, and he has several titles. I want to make sure I get them all in, because just to give you your props, um, he's the commander of Naval Meteorological and Oceanography Command. He's the oceanographer and navigator of the Navy. Let me kind of, uh, he'll probably tell you a little bit more about that, but anything weather, uh, oceanography, climate related, this is the man the Navy relies on. Thank you for joining us. Great introduction, now,
0: can't top that. Well,
1: you know, what are some of your responsibilities now that I just built you up there? What,
0: what are you doing for our country? And first of all, thank you for your service, too. Well, thank you, Marshall. And, uh, so uh, as you said, I oversee all naval oceanography and meteorology, both the operating forces, so that's about 2,500 sailors and civilians that are doing weather forecasts to keep our Navy safe and, and to keep our Navy effective and how they operate. And then I also had this job up in the Pentagon as the senior oceanographer for our Navy chief Chief of Naval Operations John Richardson. So I oversee all the budgeting and the policy related to climate, weather, oceanography uh, that my operational sailors execute.
1: Now, critical what you do. I think people don't realize how important science, meteorology, oceanography is to our national security. Why is the sort of uh, maritime security such a big
0: issue right now and going forward? That's a great question. You know, in the last 15 years or so, we were focused on the wars in a- Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, that that was our country's top national security imperative. But the world's changed a lot since then. And now we're seeing rising competitors, for example, uh, China, Russia, and we have threats like Iran and North Korea. And all of those are requiring uh, that the Navy be more uh, operational and forward pre- forward and present to deter those potential adversaries. So. The maritime security challenges are growing, and that means the the Navy's work is growing right now as is my work in supporting them with with weather and oceanography.
1: And another thing that people may not realize is, but I know this from serving on a past uh, panel for the National Academy of Sciences, is that the Navy is really a first responder often to big weather disasters around the world as well, big hurricane. Absolutely. Yeah, and so that's a part of your portfolio as well.
0: Sure, we had uh, soldiers, sailors, and airmen help in in the wake of Hurricane Matthew, for example, uh, in in Haiti. And in fact, the Navy's we had to evacuate 700 people from Guantanamo Bay. So uh, we we're involved in that, that, those evacuation operations, and, uh, and you'll we, we do that all the time. Right, now
1: let's, let's kind of pivot and get a little science geeky sure. here. What is, where, where, do you, where do you get your data from in fr- terms of your meteorological and oceanography assessment? I know you have all kinds of really cool gliders and data and satellites. Tell us a little bit about that. We do, we that. do,
0: and I, it's funny, you know, there's all this talk now on the web about big data and data analytics, and that's just what we've done for decades. Right. We have satellite systems, we have floating buoys all around the world on on our oceans. As you mentioned I have a whole array of unmanned or autonomous drone type of technologies for under sea and above the sea in the air too and um, and we use those to continuously sample uh, the ocean all around the world because you know that uh, the great work that the national weather service does is strictly limited to our continental us and some of our overseas territories uh, but we have to be in all those other places uh, that our navy has to be and so we we have to rely on those data sources that that are not really organic and and that's what and so that's what my oceanographic ships deploy and and my sailors and civilians that they operate.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that about the weather service because I was curious about the sort of roles. And after the commercial, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of your modeling operations as well. But when you bring all this data in for these various uh, sources that you just mentioned, uh, where does it go?
0: How is it processed? Uh, How does it get to the people, stakeholders, that decision makers? Yeah, so we, we have what we call production centers. I have the Naval Oceanographic Office in Stennis Space Center, Mississippi and they run our ocean, ocean models. And one of the best ocean models in the world are operational ocean models. You know, a lot of um, uh, academic centers and, and universities have, have scientific-related models, but they're not running all the time. These models are running to keep our, our, our Navy safe, our submarines, our expeditionary units, our Navy SEALs are using these to, to ensure they're, that they know the, op, the optimal currents, for example, in the sea state. And we also have meteorological models that are run by our Fleet Numerical Meteorology and Oceanography Center in Monterey, California. And so both of those together, uh, and, and we're starting to couple those two models.
1: How do you, or how do your counterparts at the Navy, uh, I'm sorry, your colleagues at the Navy, use science data to help our nation, perhaps to gain
0: advantage or to keep us safe? I mean, give us a couple of examples. Well, it's, it's both, it's yeah. both to stay safe and avoid hazardous weather, and it's also exploit the conditions of the environment to be better than our adversaries. And there's many different ways uh, we we do that. For example, uh, knowing the precise track of tropical cyclones, Mm -hmm. if we can operate near those safely on that real margin of where the highest seas are and not not into the hazardous area, well, then then you're going to have some cover because satellite systems aren't going to be able to see you. You're going to be under all, you know, the sear shield and all that. And our destroyers in different areas have operated using that kind of precise forecasting and, and weather cover. Uh, there's other examples. For example, I shared with a team here at the, the Weather Channel that when I was on an aircraft carrier uh, at the beginning of the Iraq War in 2003, we knew that a dust storm was going to come. And so we, five days out, we had that forecast nailed. And what we decided to do was throw all the strikes in uh, 24 hours a day for the first few days. And then when we predicted the onset of that storm, what we did is we put all the aircraft inside the hangar bays of the three carriers up there in the Arabian Gulf. And that allowed us to do some critical maintenance and not get damage that Dust Storm does to aircraft jet engines. So we, we timed that perfectly to be able to continue the cycle of strikes and not have the weather, uh, take a weather hit. Yeah, and I've often talked about uh, on this show and also, also in things I've
1: written, the value of weather data, not just for economics, agriculture, but for our national security. And I think you just heard a great example of that. Now, I want to kind of pivot back here. Tell me a little bit about sort of the relative balance between oceanographers and meteorologists within your operation. Is it about balanced or are you more heavily an oceanographer-based shop?
0: Well, it's it's a mix of both, uh, but but I'll tell you right now, the, the higher priorities are, are, are emerging in oceanography because that's where we see, uh, that's where the Navy has its greatest advantage and we want to maintain that undersea uh, warfare advantage with our submarines and, um, and so, and that's also where the biggest gaps are, the data gaps. We have the atmosphere pretty well wired with satellites and other types of sensors, but there's a lot of places in the ocean that we are not sensing continuously and we haven't even explored. And so that that's an area where I'm trying to increase our presence and our observational capabilities, so we better understand that ocean environment.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. When we come back on Weather Geeks, we're gonna talk about that ocean and atmosphere environment and how the Navy is using models, and also, what's going on at the top of our planet, the the polar regions, Uh, what is happening may surprise you, and it may also inform you about what we need to think about. Now, modeling. We talked about observations. Tell us a bit more about your models. Uh, Do you use supercomputers? Are are you crunching and running your own forecast models?
0: We are. The Navy has uh, its own atmospheric model. We have our own ocean model. And we have a number of other models we use. We use uh, an ice model, for example. Uh, Tell us about that ice model, because that's something new to me. Well, actually, the ice model is not ours. I believe Los Alamos National Laboratories, it's their model. Uh, The the exciting work we have uh, today, or moving forward in the future, is that um, my supercomputers are uh, at Stennis Space Center. They run in the order of teraflops of, you know, floating a million million floating point operations per second. As we move forward, we are outpacing Moore's law and our computational ca- capability. And so we think by the, you know, the middle of the 2020s, we're gonna have exascale computing capability. We know we are. And uh, that's a billion billion. So we're going to we're going to have much more highly resolved models in terms of their spatial resolution. They're going to be more accurate, and we're going to be able to also go out to lar- longer lead times. And it's all through an interagency effort we have with NOAA, NASA, Department of Energy, uh, and the Air Force to work together to build an actual uh, a national modeling capability. Uh, and there'll be some pieces that are different for each each agency, but but some core common attributes that uh, we can basically do more uh, uh, as a group than uh, less individually.
1: Yeah, and that's important too, that uh, increased capability, because we need to start thinking about modeling our Earth as a system. We know that many of our weather uh, phenomena, El Nino, and some of the things we talk about often are coupled. And so how how are you
0: preparing for this coupled integrated modeling system? Yeah, that's the most exciting thing, uh, Shepard, Marshall, that that we have um, we previously modeled different domains separately, and we maybe the ocean would provide the initial conditions for the atmosphere, and vice versa. But they were never truly coupled, where where heat fluxes, momentum fluxes were exchanged, and that's what we're going to be doing with this new modeling capability. Treating the Earth like it really is, in a system, just like the human body, you know, right. you're, you have your various systems that are all affect each other, and same with the planet, and knowing and being able to model the planet like it really is is going to give us much more better forecasting capability, we'll plan better, we'll operate more safely. The Arctic. Tell us a little bit about
1: why you pay attention to that and perhaps even why you may be concerned.
0: Well, yes, that's where the the most rapid climate changes are occurring is in the Arctic, uh, faster than the rest of the planet. And you know, the, the Navy is concerned because that's an ocean up there. Sure. And now as it's opening more and more, it's an ocean that we may have to operate more in. So we're working hard to study that change, the science of that. And, um, and, and so we've been busy with our submarine force, for example, uh, conducting experiments. I happen to be up in the Arctic sea in March of this year. And uh, I was on uh, two submarines I got to visit. They surfaced through the ice. And, and they're seeing things that we never, they've never seen before, our submariners who operate up there frequently. The ice is much more dynamic. It's, it's breaking up earlier and earlier each each summer, and um, and what it's, it creates is that as these ice flows move around, it cre- they've jammed together and create uh, these ridges or like under undersea mountains. Yes. Some of them are as deep as 200 feet, and when you're a submarine trying to navigate between the ocean floor and this ice ceiling, sure. it's hazardous actually, much more hazardous, and it's very dynamic. So they're seeing that and they're having to adjust their tactics.
1: How is the Navy involved in research and development? As it relates to energy, alternative energy sources.
0: We have an active uh, research uh, effort underway for alternative energy, and in fact, our, our current Secretary of the Navy, Ray Mabus, has directed us a number of, of goals in terms of achieving uh, percentages of our use of al- alternative energy sources, both uh, at sea and for our shore installations. I, I think the statistic or the, the goal was by 2020, 50% of our installations would rely on on, on non. Uh, fossil fuel type of energy sources, and then the Navy's done great things and move fa- move fast on that uh, effort. Right. Uh,
1: what about the Navy's uh, sort of role in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math? Uh, what are you doing to support those broad STEM efforts that we're hearing across the nation?
0: Sure, we have a, a number of very active efforts uh, involved in recruiting at the high school level and the college level, uh, and and, we, and that involves really sharing uh, our story and our opportunity. Uh, I'm I'm actually one of those products as. As I was uh, recruited uh, and I, I kind of saw this path to get a PhD on the, on the US Navy's diamond, that's what I've done. Now, what, what is your, I wanted
1: to kind of, what is your background sort of educationally?
0: Sure, I went to the Naval Academy. I, I, I went there because I wanted to serve and I also saw it was the only oceanography or one of the few oceanography majors in the country, still a very uh, top program there. And then I, I was able to get awarded a graduate education uh, program at Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Oh, you yeah. are one of the best. That's right, yes. it was a great experience, it had been a lifetime goal. And then uh, and the Navy allowed me to go back and finish up and get a PhD later after serving at sea. And so uh, great opportunities uh, in the service for that kind of education and, and STEM. Uh, yeah, and you know, I, I want to give
1: you—we've got a little time here. So, what 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 would you say in terms of the value of continuing to study Earth uh, as we move forward? Yeah, you know, this is our home planet. What, what are your just general thoughts, not just as a representative of the Navy, but just as a human being and a scientist on this planet?
0: Well, sure. I, I mean, first of all, it's it's intellectually um, interesting, you know, and, and so I'm just naturally curious, but. But really, as our Earth's population grows, as we become more globally interconnected, every anything that one person do is going to affect others. And so, understanding this, this 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 stage that all all us all our players are on, right. uh, understanding that, the nature of those changes will allow us to to prevent any type of unstable instability in the system.
1: Right, and I I would say that make sure you Google out there because there there are many reports out there from the National Academy and others on the the importance of understanding our Earth system and national security that these folks are very much involved with. Now, as we kind of wrap up here, we probably have about a minute or so left. Uh, Just tell us a little bit about what
0: you would like to say to the nation here, uh, this national audience that the the Weather Geeks and Weather Channel has provided. Sure, thanks, Marshall. You know, I'd like to just let America know that In uh, the Navy Meteorology and Oceanography Command, we have some of the best and brightest that America has to offer. We have sailors and civilians teaming up together, deploying all around the world, keeping our Navy safe and our nation safe. You know, the Navy is protecting America, and we are protecting the Navy by avoiding hazardous weather damage and making them more effective. And they're all really bright sailors, and uh, I think America should be proud of what they do. And I I think that's right. And, again, I want to
1: thank you for your service. I want to look to everyone that's watching the show right now. Uh, We thank you here at the Weather Channel and Weather Geeks for your service. And, again, keep in mind science is important, and these folks are using science to protect us and the lifestyle that we have here in the United States. One, two...